morning. So we finished a series recently on the book of Philippians. And we thought, well, let's spend August looking at the major themes of Philippians. And one of those themes was humility. And I'm very proud to speak to you today on the theme of humility. I'll take that one, Peter, because I've got that one down. <laughs> you know, we're all on journeys, and we can't skip those ones that we've not perfected yet. So I'm speaking on humility today. But Peter's talk last week on unity, which is a theme in Philippians, is really fueling Paul's section on humility. That is, for Paul, humility is the antidote to division. And so out of his call for unity, he's like, you got to get this one down. If you want to be unified, you've got to figure out humility. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in humility value others more than yourself take their interests to heart that's his uh, response to the call for unity in chapter 2 um, C.S. Lewis says uh, humility is not thinking of yourself less. Uh, oh, no, let me say it again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. <laughs> That's clever. That guy just can have a turn of phrase. Uh, and in my opinion, as I've thought about this, as I've looked at this relationship between humility and unity, or... Uh, arrogance and divisiveness, I think there's a very strong connection. If the love of money is the root of all evil, the lack of humility is the root of all division. The love of money is the root of all evil. I am beginning to believe the lack of humility is at the root of all forms of division. So how do we do this? How do we access humility? I mean, right before that passage that I read in uh, second, or Philippians 2, 3, and 4, he writes, If there's any common sharing in the Spirit, make my joy complete by being like-minded. Have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. So, if we all have the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, and I believe we do, we've all got the same access to that same mindset and spirit of humility. Like it's available. The Holy Spirit inside you is a source of humility. How do we get a hold of that? How do we access that? As I've looked at myself in the places where I struggle with humility, I find insecurities stirring up division or a barrier to my humility are insecurities. Um, 
G.K. Chesterton, it's always the secure who are humble. There's something about being secure that is related to humility. When I'm secure, I don't have anything to prove. I'm not needing to put myself forward. I'm not needing to defend myself. Um, But I'm insecure about stuff. Or rather, when I find I'm defensive, I've got to ask the question, what's that insecurity that's stirring up my sense of being defensive about something? Like I've got to defend something. I'm feeling insecure. I've spent my entire work career mobilizing university students into various mission things. I think I've been part of, as as I've looked over the 35 years and tried to track with those students who have gone on to uh, serve overseas or in really difficult situations, I think I've been a part of a about two or 3,000 people who are currently living or serving overseas or in really difficult places. I've not been the whole part, but I've been an important part of those journeys. I've never served overseas long term. There's an insecurity there. And um, I remember getting a call from someone in a... Uh, mission agency that a lot of our students were signing up for and going and serving with. And he asked, what are your qualifications to do what you're doing? And my insecurities were stirred. You know, I don't have qualifications in in the sense of having served in that. So this was someone whose uh, organization places mostly Westerners in mostly non-Western megacity slum communities. There are a lot of students coming out of these programs going to serve in those places. What are your qualifications? Like, I'm not really qualified. And I know there's that saying, you know, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call or whatever. I don't know. I think there, it's still impo- I think it's an important question, actually. Uh, it's a valid question. What qualifies me? That's an insecurity that I have wrestled with in the past. A little less so as I've come to be secure in the place that I am called as unqualified as I might be in in that place. But exploring that insecurity and asking God, like, what's behind that? Help me to understand that. Like, that's been an important journey in my Uh, walking out humility. Defensiveness breeds divisiveness. I know when I feel defensive. You may not know, because I'm, you know, pretty even keel, and I'm good with words or whatever. Janine knows. You were defensive in that conversation. Like, there's some quality that she's like, I can hear it in the tone. Most people don't hear my defensiveness. There is a divisive spirit in defensiveness. And defensiveness, I think, is a sign of insecurity. What is it that's like I'm trying to protect something? Or why am I defensive about this thing? Um, 
Why can't I be just comfortable in this position? God doesn't need me to defend, you know. Why am I feeling so uh, hackly? About, you know, the hackles gets raised. When certain things come up that I disagree with, I feel defensive and my hackles get, get raised. You all don't see it. Janine sees it. And it's like, why were you so defensive? I wasn't defensive. Yes, yes, you were. <laughs> You're right, I was. In the past, there have been um, deep convictions that feel like I can get my hackles raised around the issue of pacifism, or I used to have that. It's like um, you know, any time that a church like has an American flag up front or whatever, you know, I'm thinking, would Je- you know, would, would Jesus be like, make Rome great again, have a Roman flag that he's preaching, you know? So anyway, I, I don't need to sort of go into the reasons why, but like any celebration of uh, American violence or whatever in a church context, I'm like, I just get defensive. My hackles used to get raised. Not so much anymore. Why is that? Like, what is behind that? Um, I think it's selfish ambition and vain conceit in me. I know that um, Christians, especially Protestants, especially evangelicals, feel very strongly about a great many things because you know they're deep convictions, and there may have been a hard journey into proclaiming faith, and you had to give up a lot, and so you've hold, you're holding to the things really tightly. At least for me, it's vain conceit. And in those discussions, I'm thinking not about listening, not about what I can learn from that person. It's like I'm preparing for my defense and I'm going to think about what I have to say. It's always about speaking in those situations and not about learning or listening. I feel like I've got something to prove. I'm feeling defensive. I'm feeling insecure. Jesus was quiet before Pilate and Herod and the Sanhedrin. He didn't have anything to prove. He didn't have to defend uh, himself in those situations. That's the security that I need in those places where my hackles are being raised. I hope they're being raised uh, less and less often. Some of, sometimes it's about comparing yourself. Comparison's almost always a bad idea, whether you're comparing yourself favorably to someone or unfavorably. There's a false humility in comparing yourself unfavorably to someone. Generally, it is with me. But, you know, as I'm feeling um, agitated, offended, generally I'm comparing myself favorably to someone else. All of those things are part of this selfish ambition and vain conceit. And my invitation for you is you know when you're being defensive. If you don't, ask someone who's really close to you 
or ask Janine, live with her for a while, and then she'll be able to tell. Yep, there's something bugging you about that. No, I was perfectly calm. Uh, I could hear it. I could hear that in your voice. So defensiveness is a sign of divisiveness, in my opinion, and a lack of humility, likely the presence of an insecurity. That's at least worth asking, God, what is it that's inflaming me here? Is there an insecurity? Is it something that, well, I'm guarding your honor, God. I, you know, I think I'll be okay with you not guarding my honor. I think I can manage. So what is it that's happening there? The other thing is meekness. We think of that word as being um, weak or mousy or like a, being a doormat. That's not the definition of meekness. I think we've made it our definition. Uh, you know, from a biblical standpoint, it's not a synonym for uh, for weakness. I think meekness is a is a superpower. I don't know if Marvel will ever, you know. <laughs> locate itself in Meek Man as the sort of hero to which we watch all these amazing movies. But meekness is a is a superpower. And the meek are going to inherit the earth. Okay? Just FYI, you will be under the authority of meek people at some point because they're going to inherit the earth. It's because they know how to use power for the reason power exists, to protect the vulnerable and to ensure the good of all. You will serve under a meek leader at some point in your life because they're going to inherit the earth. And, and it's not that they're going to conquer the earth. They're going to be given as an inheritance the earth as the place of their exercise of leadership in their domain. And Jesus says, come to me. And learn from me because I'm meek and humble of heart. Jesus is meek. They're going to be the ones who inherit the earth. And Jesus is inviting us, especially those of us who are heavy laden with having to defend ourselves, with carrying all our insecurities. Come to me and learn from me. My burden's easy. I'm humble and meek. Um, Often when that, that situation where my hackles are raised, I'm feeling like this is the hill to die on. You ever hear that expression? It's a very pacifistic uh, expression. Yes, well, you know, uh, it's ironic that pacifism was at one time my hill to die on. But more often than not, it's the hill we kill on, right? Pacifism is my hill to kill on because I'm going to eviscerate anyone who disagrees with me. Um, we do kill people in our hearts, in our thoughts, in those places where like, we're having that conversation with that person. You read something about their post, and all of a sudden you are in an argument in your head with them, and you are coming out really well in that argument. Man, you can just nail them. 
with your wisdom. And they're just so ashamed by the time you're done with them. <laughs> That's, you know you've got, the, why do I have to die on this hill for that post, for that person's comment? What's going on here, God? This is your signal to ask God, what's the insecurity here? There is a root of divisiveness in that spirit that needs to be explored. I'm not saying there aren't one or two hills to die on. Maybe the deity of Jesus, the bodily resurrection, things like that. You know, take a look at the Apostles' Creed. Most of the rest of those hills to die on are, are not hills to kill others on. You know, what's, what is worthy of breaking fellowship with someone else? What is worthy of dividing on? Oddly enough, Paul tells Titus, warn a divisive person once, warn them a second time, and then don't have anything to do with them. If there's any hill to die on, it's divisiveness. <laughs> Oddly enough, um, we need to check ourselves. If we really want to engage Paul's invitation, I think originated from Jesus, to be unified, to love one another, let people know that we're Christians by our love, we need to check our defensiveness, our comparing ourselves to others, and our um, embracing meekness. Uh, I wrote a book on meekness, I'm proud to say. <laughs> How to Inherit the Earth. I brought a few copies uh, because it bombed. <laughs> it just did not sell. You know, how do you promote a book you've written on humility? This is the greatest book on humility you will ever read. So Ivy Press is like, hey, we got boxes of this that is taking up space. We're going to send them to the landfill if someone doesn't. So I, I, I'll rescue a box. So please take one. Originally, I was wanting to write a tirade against our leadership infatuated culture even the organization i work in it's like all about leadership and i did not find jesus talking about leadership he talked about followership you can do a search for leadership versus a search for followership and you'll find you know there's more in one of those categories than the other um and also this sort of spirit of independence you know there's something in the air particularly and i've had the privilege of traveling a lot of places in american culture there is this almost this declaration of independence or something like that that sort of infects our soil like we we don't need nobody live free or die you know this kind of you know that my friends who are reflecting back to me the movies they see and friends from other countries like why is it always the americans who save the world you know there's some world calamity and you know that in the old movies it'd be a spinning newspaper you know that stops in different countries or nowadays it's the newscaster 
and you know all these different countries there's an asteroid coming whatever there's something coming and it's going to be devastating for the whole planet and it's never the nigerians that saved the world <laughs> now there is a little turn coming and so you know and with the martian it was the whole it wasn't it wasn't the Americans saving the world. It was the whole world having to save the one American who was stuck on the planet, but still still very America-centric. Anyway, all that to say, I kind of wanted to point out these things that I believe impede our spirituality and um, the beauty of interdependence. And I ended up not writing a tirade against leadership so much as a celebration of Meekness or submission. Man, submitting. That's hard. Um, we kind of do it with employers sometimes, but usually begrudgingly. And submission isn't submission unless you disagree with the person. Otherwise, you're just sort of doing what you don't care one way or the other. But like if you feel differently and choose to submit, that's a very rare thing. Um, you know, I know there are things like spiritual abuse, and those are real. And submission in those in those situations needs to be guarded. But as I, th I think about the new elders coming on, Bobette Rose and Jeff Bohorsky, I don't think they're cult leaders. Uh, you know, maybe they could be at some point, but am I willing to submit to spiritual leadership with people I love and trust? It's hard. It's easy when you agree with them. Um, and not to be divisive here or anything, but... <laughs> You know, when we were exploring what to do on the corner park and region, there were two options. Let's stay. The developer has given us the opportunity to occupy this corner. Or we'll sell and you can go somewhere. At the time, I kind of disagreed with selling and take the money and going somewhere else. I thought it would be really cool to sort of occupy that corner. There's something about that corner. I wholeheartedly submit to that leadership decision and process. I can do that even while wondering, and we'll never know. Like, I understood the concerns about, okay, the Velbar's going to sell, and that person's going to sell, and who knows what it'll be like in 10 years. We never would know sort of where that path might have led. I trust the people in charge. And I can hold that sense of, yeah, I'm not sure I would make that same decision, but I gladly and willingly follow good people who have more knowledge of all the pieces than I do. Like, that's the sort of submission that we need to engage, embrace. This ability to maybe have a dissenting voice and yet still submit. That is meekness. That's humility. Anything else has a trace of 
um, selfish ambition and vain conceit. I don't want to have selfish ambition and vain conceit. And when I find myself being defensive, there's usually an insecurity and there's selfish ambition and vain conceit. When I find myself unwilling to submit, there's generally selfish ambition and vain conceit. I think athletes know something about submission to coaches. I don't want to do this, but I I trust you and I'm going to do this hard thing. We need those spiritual coaches who are talking to us and asking us to do those hard things that we don't want to do, but we still do because we trust our spiritual coach is going to lead us in ways that are good and right and fair, even if we have a different opinion. All of this is related to the sin of arrogance. God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. There are times where God opposes me in my vain conceit and selfish ambition. In the, this is the hill I'm going to die on. Even if it's right, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Sin probably doesn't have this sliding scale. I know we'd like to think certain sins are bigger than others. But if it did, arrogance would be the biggest. That would be the chiefest of all sins. That is spoken of very harshly in both the Hebrew scriptures, and in the New Testament. I think it's because the original sin was, I want to be like God. The original sin is arrogance. And God's remedy to the original sin of, I want to be like God, was God saying, I'm going to be like a servant. That's what Philippians 2 says. That was the antidote to original sin which is trying to be like God. Um, Years ago, there was this Christmas card that was like, history is filled with men who would be gods and then had a picture of all the sort of religious leaders and dictators on the front. Then you open it up and it's a manger scene, but only one God who would be man. That polar of original sin, wanting to be like God, arrogance, and God's remedy of becoming like a servant, according to Philippians 2, like that shows us the costliness of arrogance. Selfish ambition, vain conceit. Meekness breaks the power of arrogance. Humility destroys divisiveness. We cannot cultivate the mindset of Christ and the unity of the Spirit when we insist that we're right. You have not been appointed God's defense attorney. Like you are going to court and you are going to defend God because you've got that assignment. Um, 
You don't need to defend him. And you may not be right about everything. I know all of us think we're right about everything that we hold uh, tightly. But I think even me with the conviction of pacifism, I might be wrong. Or more likely, I'm not as thoughtfully nuanced about the use of violence um, and when it may be appropriate. I might be wrong about that. I can still hold a conviction and recognize that I may not have it completely right. I can be secure and invite alternative opinions because I might learn something from someone I disagree with. That's approaching that spirit, that mindset of Christ, that spirit of humility. When you say, I may, not, I may be wrong or not nuanced quite enough, and I may have something to learn from someone that I'm having an internal argument with in my mind, they may have something to teach me. Now you're beginning to enter into that space of meekness. Now the possibility of removing divisiveness. Man, we will divide over just about anything. I really love uh, the Anabaptist, Mennonite, Amish sort of communities and had the privilege of hanging out with some Old Order Mennonites related to Penny and Eric. But uh, I asked about divisiveness. And uh, David, Penny's brother-in-law, was like, yeah, there is a community that broke away from a community based on whether to use incubators for the chickens or for the eggs. Like That became a reason to say we will form our own community that do not use incubators. Now, he said, there's still congeniality between these two communities, but that was sort of one, one place that was non-negotiable, that they would break fellowship over that. And I don't point that out as like, oh, aren't they so much more divisive than we are? <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a sampling. And, and for something that feels a little ridiculous to us, but was very important to them, there may be things that you feel like, oh, but this, this is not about incubators. This is worth dividing over. Someday, someone's going to look back on that and say, what in the world were they thinking? Just as I do with the church of around 1,000 AD, for whom the question of, did Christ have two natures or one nature? There were communities that actually killed, like took up physical arms against those brothers and sisters who had a different opinion about whether Christ had two natures or one nature. Now, maybe it was important to settle that. It, to me, it feels like a loss for the church, like it may have set the church back hundreds of years by sort of fighting that out in public. <laughs> That's why Paul's like, hey, why are you taking your disagreements with brothers and sisters to court? Like, it's not worth it. 
Like, just figure it out amongst yourselves. It is shaming the church and shaming Jesus to sort of have your divisive fights out there in public. I know a few people who have cut themselves off from community and fellowship because of an issue. And they can't find the church. It's like lines up exactly. And I know people, strong Christians with strong convictions who no longer attend church at all. Because like, I know they don't, or not with the strength that I need them to, you know, I can't find a church that believes what I believe needs to be believed and held on to, therefore I'm not going to go to church. And maybe it's not totally conscious, but I know people who have stopped going to church because of something that they... And with the couple of folk I'm thinking about, it's one issue that they're just so convinced about, like they just have stopped attending. And they are adrift spiritually because of it. It's likely you will be in community with people that you disagree with at a visceral level. And you need to do, you know, I don't know the etymology of visceral, but it's probably related to eviscerate. (laughs) Like you're feeling so visceral, you eviscerate (laughs) in your mind or in your words. Like I'm really... You know, I chose to speak on humility. I'm really speaking on, this is unity part two. Because <laughs> they're related. So, conclusion. Learn to recognize defensiveness when it is stirred up. And ask God, is there an insecurity here that needs to be dealt with? And in my defensiveness... Am I being divisive? I don't want to be that person. Warn a divisive person once. Warn them a second time. And then don't have anything to do with them. Let your defensiveness be a bit of a trigger to think, what's the insecurity here? Is there a wound that this person's touching on? Is that why I'm feeling this way? Or is there a wound that they carry that's maybe bleeding into this conversation that I need to have some empathy toward? Comparison. Are you comparing yourself favorably or unfavorably to another? Ask God to give you the grace if you're comparing yourself unfavorably to another. The the grace to accept where you are on your journey. I'm not there, but that's okay. I'm on a journey. Or if you're comparing yourself favorably to someone, that's where they are on the journey. I can hold that. And um, this doesn't need to become something that I divide over. Meekness. Voluntarily submit yourself to another, a spiritual coach in order to grow in meekness, submission. And then arrogance. Thank God I'm not like that tax collector. 
says the Pharisee. And then we say, thank God I'm not like that Pharisee. <laughs> like when you find yourself in that. That's, that's where Jesus says, God opposes the proud, gives grace. To the I mean, that's the punchline of that story. <laughs> it's like the, the tax collector beating his breast. Lord, have mercy on me. Um, probably the biggest example in my life for humility and meekness is Janine. She's not here. I can talk about her this way. She's visiting family in, in Iowa. Like, she's the sort of person in a conversation who's always asking you the question to get to know you. It can be really tiring to be in those conversations where someone's just talking about themselves and not at all interested in you. Uh, that's because Janine has a very acute sense of listening. I think the humble are really good listeners. Janine's a really good listener. She remembers little details about people. That's why years ago when the leadership team was saying, Scott, would you consider becoming an elder? I'm like, no, but you need to ask this person. This is the kind of person that ought to be in spiritual leadership. And I don't think it was necessarily obvious to everyone because Janine flies below the radar. And there are often times where like, she'll make a contribution and somehow someone else is getting credit for it. Like, this is sort of this repeat thing. It's like, oh yeah, I think I mentioned that and that got taken up and now it's credited to someone else. Not that that doesn't bother us from time to time, but there's a generousness to Janine that serves as an example to me of humility and meekness. And I think I'd say that about all the elders. And as I look at Bobette and Jeff potentially coming on by way of announcement, we're going to affirm if you have something that you're concerned about, then you need to talk to one of the elders or uh, leadership team members about that. But as I, I look at the new elders coming on, I'm thinking, yeah, there's a gentility and a humility and a sweetness and a meekness about these new elders. I gladly submit myself to Bobat and Jeff, even if they have decisions that I'm that I take issue with. I'm not saying there are no hills to die on, but there are fewer than you think. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm grateful for people like Janine who have exemplified um, humility and meekness who are rarely defensive or divisive. Certainly, they all have their insecurities. But more and more, they're finding their security in you. No need to prove themselves. No need to put themselves forward. Thank you for those examples.
Thank you for Philippians chapter 2 that invites us to look to Christ and particularly the quality of humility that Jesus displayed, inviting us to say, be of the same mind as Jesus. Lord, would you uncover any insecurities when we bump into our defensiveness and our offendedness? What is it that's offending? Help us to see beyond the self-righteous indignation that we may immediately feel to a place that's a wound or a place that needs to come under your authority more completely. We offer to you this little community and invite you to make something beautiful. In Jesus' name, amen.